0: Yes, we are back here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening to another edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I am Farzien Vasugan. Thank you for being patient. Uh, after my uh, two-week absence, uh, I, I didn't have an opportunity to do a podcast before the Super Bowl. Uh, and then uh, after that, I had gotten sick and then got sick again the following week. Uh, so, uh, so some bad luck there. I generally don't get sick a whole lot. Uh, maybe I'll lose my voice once or twice a year, uh, but never uh, anything serious in, in which it, it lasts a couple of days. And uh, I paid the price for that recently, <laughs> having to make up for all those years, not being sick for a long period of time. But I, I'm okay now, and I'm back nonetheless, so I appreciate you guys once again uh, listening to another episode of the podcast. If you guys want to interact with me, you can do so on social media, on Facebook. Like my Facebook page, Farzine Vasugian, and also follow me on Twitter, at Barzine21, and be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Hey, let's not waste any time. Uh, In fact, I want to go to the biggest story in the NFL this week, in which Jared Allen, uh, defensive end and outside linebacker in the NFL, announced his retirement, and announced it in style, too, uh, in his video at a ranch, uh, riding off uh, once he said he was done. He played in Kansas City for four years, of course, was drafted as a long snapper, and just look what kind of a career he had, going from long snapper to being a standout defensive player. And I, I, there was obviously some con- conflict with the front office at the time when Jared Allen was traded for multiple draft picks in 2008. Uh, so, so Chiefs fans didn't really hold it against him that he left. Uh, he, he wasn't the only one. I know Tony Gonzalez, well, th- that was before, uh, or pardon me, after the uh, change. I, I know there was some conflict with other Uh, Players, uh, I think Tony Richardson was another guy. Larry Johnson uh, didn't have the greatest relationship, but was able to get a contract, a big-time contract extension at the time. But Jared Allen, one of those players, certainly uh, you you wish the situation could have been better. Uh, Glad he got a Super Bowl uh, in his career. He got it earlier this month with the Panthers, was with the Bears, but then got traded. Uh, So good for him. He really did deserve to play in a Super Bowl. I wish he could have won it, uh, but did not. As far as his time in Kansas City, you certainly wish that his time in Kansas City lasted longer. I I think if I put together a list of Chiefs players that we wish played for a longer period of time, Joe Delaney immediately comes to mind. So does uh, Joe Joe Montana. He had a couple of great seasons with the Chiefs, but uh, of course he was a pretty old quarterback in the NFL, so... He wasn't able to play for a long period of time. I think not necessarily from a player's perspective, but as a coach, you wish Dick Vermeil could have been in Kansas City longer. A lot of people felt like he could have taken Kansas City to a Super Bowl, had he coached for a couple of more years. And Jared Allen's another guy on that list. He mentioned Dick Vermeule. Uh, Dick Vermeil was the one who drafted Jared Allen uh, in the fourth round, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have his uh, draft history in front of me, but... Really, one of the things that stands out to me about Jared Allen is that this is a guy who, to me, is a true definition of a person who can rebound in life. Let's not forget, this guy had two DUIs and missed two games. The first two games in the 2007 season, and despite playing just 14 games, he led the NFL in sacks that year with 15 and a half. And he also had Tom Bahali on the other side, who... I know Tom Bahaly in 2007 isn't what he is right now, or what he's been the past couple of years. But still, to be able to do that... Tom Bahali was a pretty good player at the time, too. So to see Jared Allen be able to do that, lead the league in sacks, doing it in just 14 games, rather than playing an entire 16-game season, that says a lot about a guy. He came very close to shattering Michael Strahan's record for most sacks in a single season with the Minnesota Vikings. I think that was the same year Brett Favre went there in 2010, if if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that was a great year for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, despite falling short against the Saints in the NFC title game. But a great career for Jared Allen. Easily one of the top defensive players we've seen. And there's no question in my mind. He's on his way to Canton, Ohio. It's just, who did he go in as? He played for the Vikings the longest. I think that's where he had a more notable career. Of course, Kansas City gave him a start here. Went to Chicago. Had a more forgettable career. Came to Carolina, and it was kind of a kind of a Raul Abanez type of guy. Or uh, a Johnny Gomes kind of guy for the Kansas City Royals. The past couple of years, when they went to their uh, World Series uh, back-to-back years, that's kind of what Jared Allen was. He, and he still contributed on the field, too, for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so I, I don't know who he goes in as. If I had to take a guess, if I had to rank one, two, three, and 4, I'd say he goes with Minnesota number 1. If not, maybe Kansas City. And then probably, if it's neither of those, it would probably be the Panthers, since he went to the Super Bowl as a Panther, but I think he ends up going as as a Viking. And I don't know what what his interest is in terms of what he's going to do now that his football playing career is over. If he wants to coach in any way or or, or get involved at, at a bigger level, yeah, Dick Vermeil, of course, is not involved. Maybe he works under Brad Childress at some point. Brad Childress, of course, one of the co offensive coordinators for the Kansas City Chiefs, but. Uh, maybe down the road, or maybe very soon, he could pick up a head coaching gig, and maybe he recruits Jared Allen as one of the assistant coaches on the defensive side of the football. Maybe he gets that kind of. A, I could kind of see Jared Allen being that kind of a guy who could be a coach and, and also being a mentor. Like I said, he went through those two DUIs in uh, I think in, in 2006 and 2007, and he could he could be one of those guys that helps troubled players and gives them a reason to feel like, hey, look, it's it, it, there, it's not a no way out situation. You still have an opportunity to rebound and have a great personal life and a great playing career. So I think Jared Allen would be able to fit that kind of a role. Uh, but, but, but what he does, obviously, uh, it depends on him. And you have to consider family situations, where you want to live, what you want to do, how close you want to be. Because coaching in the NFL, uh, it, it is pretty challenging. A lot of College coaches who have been in the NFL have talked about how there isn't as much family time in the NFL as there is as a college coach. Yeah, but still both busy gigs, uh, but being, but coaching in college allows some of these guys to have more personal time versus coaching in the NFL. Uh, One of the other stories I want to talk about, and I don't want to touch too much on this because this was old news. It happened a couple weeks ago, but of course, uh, couldn't do a podcast at the time. But Travis Kelsey did earn a five-year, $46 million deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think this is a really good move. And this will set the offense up for success uh, in the next few years, really. Jeremy Macklin, he signed a five-year deal uh, last offseason, now has four years left. So you've got Travis Kelsey for five years, Jeremy Macklin for four more years, so Alex Smith, he's got some re- reliable weapons around A key weapons. You've got arguably a, one of the best tight ends in Travis Kelty one of the top wide receivers in Jeremy Macklin. Then let's not forget, you've got some really reliable running backs, and we saw them all this year. Uh, three different running backs rushing for a hundred yards, in Jamal Charles. And then when Charles went down with the, the uh, torn ACL injury, uh, next thing you know, uh, Shark Kendrick West and Spencer Ware stepped up and made a lot of noise to help Kansas City's offense. Uh, really just find more success and continue to to do the things that they wanted from Jamal Charles and being able to fill in. For him during that time. And then, of course, Alex Smith, I think with his contract situation following the 2016 season, there is an opportunity for the Chiefs to move on if they would like to. They can take a much less cap hit uh, if they wish uh, by letting Alex Smith go after 2016, in which whoever the quarterback is after him, whether it's Aaron Murray, Tyler Bray, and I'll get to that in a minute, or if it's someone else who the Chiefs end up finding uh, through free agency or in the draft. That quarterback will have some players to work with. Again, Kelsey and Macklin, of course, guys who, uh, if they play through their contracts, they'll be here for the next quarterback. Uh, And then you never know. I think with the running back position, uh, the Chiefs have had fairly good luck uh, over the years, uh, since the franchise has been in existence. So Kansas City has some good offensive players. I think the offensive line is, is still an issue there. That's something that has to... Uh, an area that really needs improvement, certainly. Uh, but overall, I think with the Travis Kelsey signing, the extension there, that's really good news for Kansas City because you've got your number one wide receiver and your number one tight end set for a long period of time. I don't know if I've ever felt this good about a number one tight end and a number one wideout since maybe 2010 with Dwayne Bowen and Moiaki, but. When Moe went down, everyone said, okay, look, we're back to square one. Uh, So I think before that, at least in terms of long term, I think Tony Gonzalez and Eddie Kennison. Yeah, I think this is really the best Kansas City has had uh, since uh, 88 and 87 were playing with each other and helping out Trent Green. And had really one of the better offenses in the NFL. Of course, that was... uh, morally noted with priest Holmes in the backfield but the passing game was still a big factor too and Trent Green got a, he, he did very well and got a lot of help because of the offensive line and those two primary targets and Alex Smith and by all means I'm not comparing Travis Kelsey to Tony Gonzalez or macklin to Kennison but I think those are uh it, 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 it's that's really I guess the best way to put it that's what Kansas City has had that's the best Kansas City's offense has had since the Dick Vermeil era. Era really. Now I want to go back when I mentioned the running backs with Ware and West and Jamal Charles going down with the injury. Marshall Falk made an interesting note saying that the Chiefs should move on and cut ties with Jamal Charles, and I could not disagree anymore. Now when I asked us on the Facebook page and on Twitter, everybody disagreed with him, I, and I think a couple of people agreed with him. And I'll explain why I think those people are wrong, but everybody had this notion of, oh no, Jamal's a long-term guy, he's been here for a long time, he's my boy. Uh, yeah, I mean People were really offended by this, because Jamal Charles has been a big part of this franchise, uh, really since uh, a year or two after he got drafted, when Larry Johnson was let go, uh, Jamal Charles was really the primary guy for this franchise since 2009. Yes, he's gone down with a couple of injuries, but... Uh, anytime he's played, he's always been uh, a big part of the offense. I mean, he's really uh, carried a, a large percentage of this offense in terms of not just yards, but scoring as well, especially in 2013. Now, I mentioned this in the last podcast. I really don't care if Jamal Charles is a 1,000-yard rusher. I don't necessarily think this offense needs him to be that kind of a running back because running ma- the running back position has really changed this year versus 10, 15 years ago when you had guys like a Priest Holmes or a Larry Johnson who were down-for-down down running backs, and you really don't see that a whole lot in the NFL anymore. I think really Adrian Peterson's the only one that's a down-for-down down back guy. I think uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch, sure, he, he could be a down-for-down down, uh running back kind of player, but really you don't see that much in the NFL anymore. And I mentioned this on the last podcast. If the, the best thing the Chiefs could do, let Jamal Charles be the primary guy and then let other guys contribute. Sharkhandrick West, Spencer Ware. And listen, even if West and or Ware don't come back, and I said this a moment ago, the Chiefs have had good luck throughout their existence here in Kansas City with with the running back position a lot of great running backs over the years especially whenever uh, a running back goes down with an injury we, we've seen it quite a lot uh since Priest Holmes has been here Priest Holmes coming in here from Baltimore he turned into a top-notch running back he goes down with an injury Derek Blaylock Larry Johnson they take over and they, they help carry the offense then when Larry Johnson uh goes down with an injury, the Chiefs didn't have a whole lot of success there at the running back position, but after getting into some trouble, and the Chiefs cutting ties with him, uh, next thing you know, Jamal Charles steps up, he becomes a primary guy, uh, and then when he goes down, Niall Davis, he had a couple 100-yard games, helped out the Chiefs, now here's the thing that where that a lot of Chiefs fans, those who do agree with Falk's comments, a lot of people said that the Chiefs won games, they went, uh, what was it, 11-2 and or 11-1, and without Jamal Charles. And I know in 2011, when Charles got injured in Week 2, with the same injury, it was just the opposite knee, the Chiefs went on to lose, I think, one more game, but after that they went on a surge, going on a four-game winning streak, and at that point did lead the AFC West with a 4-3 and three record, and that was right after the uh, Monday Night Football game, the infamous game on Halloween where Philip Rivers fumbled the snap and the Chiefs kicked a field goal in overtime to win. Uh, but, of course, that was overshadowed eventually when Tim Tebow filled in for the Broncos and uh, I, don't, I don't think Chiefs fans want to relive that part there. Uh, but But my point is, the Chiefs have found some success without Jamal Charles. I think if you told me before the season that the Chiefs would have made the playoffs without Jamal Charles... I would have said there was no way. There's there's absolutely no way. Charles is a huge part of the offense. But I think in a way, injuries can be a, a blessing in disguise. And I hate to say that, but the Chiefs did find more success. People are absolutely right. I don't necessarily think the Chiefs are better off without Jamal Charles. I just think Jamal's injury forced the Chiefs to... Really just be more creative and do a lot more things. And listen, I understand. The schedule did get easier. But still, the Chiefs were not expected to do what they did going on that 11-game surge. And with the offense, you saw Alex Smith connect more with Jeremy Macklin. Travis Kelsey got a little bit better. And then Kendrick West and Spencer Ware, uh, both of them filled in. Both of them, at at different points, got 100-yard rushing games. I still think you need Jamal Charles, though. He's a very special running back, one of the more explosive players in the NFL. He's still under contract through 2017, and he'll be 31. By the time the 2018 season starts. He's scheduled to make $5.3 million in 2016 and $7 million in 2017. Maybe we can expect a contract adjustment in which Charles and his agent, uh, which is uh, 3SG Sports Management, and the Chiefs can agree to restructure his contract. Uh, but but I, I, I disagree that the Chiefs should cut ties with him or trade him away because... This is a guy who who can do a lot of special things at the running back position. And listen, I, Charles never has come off as a guy with an ego. So, I don't think he he would mind a new role with the with the Chiefs offense in which he plays a few snaps to start off a game and then occasionally he he There's an active rotation, basically, with the other backup running backs, and again, that all depends this offseason if Ware and West both end up coming back, which would be great, of course, for Kansas City's offense, but keep Ware and West active, because in this day and age in the NFL, when you have Travis Kelce and Jeremy Macklin, two very good pass catchers that helped Alex Smith tremendously this past year, And then you have Jamal Charles, an explosive running back. Again, uh, with the West Coast offense, the the kind of offense the Chiefs run, uh, that helps Alex Smith even more. And then you consider some of the backups, some of the depth guys on uh, on this offense. Uh, I mentioned Ware and West. I'm not going to get into it again. But as far as wide receivers go... Chris Conley and Albert Wilson, they both showed a lot of improvement throughout the season. And Albert Wilson definitely looked a lot better than he did his rookie season when he was undrafted. And Chris Conley, of course, drafted in the third round this past year. He showed a lot of improvement as the season went on. And a lot of people remember him for coming in for Macklin in the playoff victory against Houston. Uh, the same drive. Macklin went down with, with an injury. Ma- uh Conley steps up and catches a touchdown pass from Alex Smith to extend Kansas City's game and really just seal the deal and advance in the postseason. So, I I still think the Chiefs should consider a number two wide receiver. Maybe the Chiefs see something in Wilson or Conley, in which they would designate one of those two as a number two wide receivers going into training camp and into the regular season. But this Kansas City offense has a lot of talent. And I'm going to go into the position needs now because, like I said, and I have a list here, uh, seven positions, seven key positions. Before I get into this, something that kind of irritates me with sports fans, NFL fans is, and I guess you could say all of sports too, is when you hear the offseason and you talk about needs, everyone immediately thinks about the draft. There's a lot more to an offseason than just the draft. Yes, the draft is the biggest part for uh, for sports teams, really. I know it's not as big and not as many people care about it in maybe Major League Baseball, but in the NFL and the NBA, of course, it's one of the one of the biggest offseason events, maybe the biggest offseason event for each respective sport, but especially in the NFL, I think free agency is still a huge part. You cannot just build your team Completely, just from the draft. I remember when I was at 610 Sports Radio, I I, I was co-hosting one of the night shifts, and uh, my co-host had said that uh, he's expecting the Chiefs. And this was right after the Chiefs had a season where they did not have a touchdown pass to a wide receiver, and Dwayne Bowe was still on the team. And a suggestion was thrown out there that the Chiefs should draft three wide receivers uh, in in this past year's draft. And I thought, that's asinine. You cannot have... Uh, obviously, that that's with the consideration that Dwayne Bow would be cut. You cannot have your number one, number two, and your slot receiver all be draft picks. you 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 have to have a veteran out there. And of course, the Chiefs picked one up in Jeremy Macklin and then drafted Chris Conley. But I still think the Chiefs should go after a number two wide receiver, whether it's through the draft or free agency. I think you you can find a solid number two wide receiver through uh, either free agency or the draft, uh, but then you use the rest of the the guys, as as I mentioned on that list. uh, Kelsey, Albert, Conley, and then, of course, the running backs. I think Kansas City has so many weapons that Alex Smith really has all the tools for success in 2016. Now, he's got to have a better offensive line. Looking at the depth chart right now for the Chiefs, Jeff Allen at left guard, he's listed as left guard right now, but you know, we've seen him play different spots on that offensive line. Uh, he's currently without a contract, as is Donald Stevenson, who was, really didn't have a very good... He really hasn't had a good, a really memorable career in Kansas City since being drafted out of Oklahoma, uh, drafted in the third round. And I think the Chiefs should part ways with him uh well not necessarily part ways you just not retain him I, I think that's a better way of putting it uh Ben Grubbs didn't really he just had a disappointing season but it's not really something to stress out about because the Chiefs gave up just a fifth round draft pick for him he's been to a couple of Pro Bowls in his career Paul Fanaika, a guy that I think some people were excited for I was when he uh was signed from Arizona this is a guy who allowed only one sack in 2014 but was placed on IR before the season started, so we didn't get a chance to see Fanica in 2015. Mitch Moores, I, I think people are pleased with him and what he did as a rookie converting from tackle to center, and of course, being an MU guy, uh, a lot of people locally fell in love with him, so I think you're set at the center position. The position that I, I, I think a lot of people are on the fence about, it, it may be more so people would rather see a change. I personally don't, and that's... Uh, left tackle with Eric Fisher, and Eric Fisher has switched a cu- couple of times in his career. He, he was a, at right tackle when Brandon Albert was here during Fisher's rookie season. Played a little bit of right tackle this year, but then converted back to left tackle. Here's my thing with Eric Fisher. There are some games where, and listen, with the offensive line position, a lot of times if if an offensive lineman has a bad game, it's, it's very noticeable. If an offensive lineman has a great game... It's not noticeable, and if we don't notice offensive linemen, that's generally a good thing. With Eric Fisher, there have been some moments in his career where he has had really great games against some really good pass rushers. I I think uh, the start of the 2014 season, he went up against some really top-notch pass rushers. Guys like Olivier Vernon, uh, Von Miller uh, in Week 2 against the Denver Broncos, and then... Uh, I think Chandler uh, Jones for, for for the from the New England Patriots uh, on that Monday Night Football game when the Chiefs blew out Brady and the Pats, Eric Fisher did really well against some of those pass rushers. And then as the season progressed, he went back to being the Eric Fisher we remembered from his rookie season on right tackle. So we've always seen this imbalance with Fisher. Fisher had an amazing game against J.J. Watt in the playoff victory, and. Of course, a lot of Houston Texans fans booed him. There was a moment where Eric Fisher had a pretty big block on J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt gets injured, and Fisher got booed at the stadium because, look, let's face it, the Houston Texans, their most precious and favorite player, got injured. And again, it wasn't like it was anything dirty. I mean, Fisher was just playing hard. Uh, But he got booed. But nonetheless, Fisher was actually noticed. For having a great game. And again, offensive linemen, they generally don't get noticed or talked about when they have a great game. And if that's the Eric Fisher we can get, like I said, uh, from the beginning of the 2014 season and how he played in the first couple of games there against JJ Watt in the playoff game. If that's the Eric Fisher we can get on a consistent basis, if he can limit his bad games to maybe just one to everyone has a bad game in the NFL. Every single player does. But if Fisher can limit his bad games to maybe just one or two games, maybe three tops, I think you consider that a success with your number one overall pick in 2013. I know that was not a great draft class uh, for for players overall, but that was the best option the Chiefs could have gone with, and Fisher has shown a lot of flashes. He really has, and I think the Chiefs should keep him at the left tackle spot. I think he's got to be able to show consistency. He's been able to... Prove that he can play against some of the best defensive ends and outside linebackers in the NFL. He's just got to do it consistently. So as far as the offensive line, which two spots I would want to see a change in? I I would say the left guard spot, assuming Jeff Allen does not return. Uh, Jeff Allen, I don't think he's he's a bad offensive lineman, but he's not great either. I think the Chiefs could use a little bit more help, especially to make the left side stronger with Fisher, Allen, and then at center with Mitch Morse. Uh, Lauren DuVernay-Tardif uh, didn't necessarily have a horrible season either. Uh, ja Reed, Donald Stevenson, those are the two right tackles from 2015. Fisher did play a little bit, but moved back to left tackle, like I said. Ja Reed, again, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about Ja Reed. I don't think he's he's awful either. I still think there's some improvement. And again, with, with running backs that the Chiefs had, with Jamal Charles and Charkandrick West, guys that like to attack the outside, especially when, players have, when running backs have that high level of speed and acceleration. They love to attack the outside. So I think the Chiefs should invest in trying to find a good right tackle. I know the Chiefs haven't had a lot of good luck at at that position. They had Eric Winston in 2012. That, of course, was a disaster, especially with that situation with fans uh, apparently cheering an Alex, uh, or pardon me, not Alex Smith, uh, Matt Castle injury. And uh, after that, he was let go following his only season with the Chiefs. Uh, so I would say left guard and right tackle. That's the those are the two spots that the offensive line the Chiefs should look to add a new talent there. Number three, I've I've got cornerback. I think the Chiefs need to have a cornerback, even if Sean Smith. Or I would love it if Sean Smith came back because in the NFL you can never have enough wide receivers, and there are so many teams out there that have two or three really good and reliable wideouts that. You need viable cornerbacks to be able to defend them. And look at Kansas City's defense. And I, I know there are so many free agents on this defense, but uh, looking at the past couple of years, the way this defense has been, when you have Tom Bahali and Justin Houston and the rest of that defense applying pressure down in the middle uh, with Dontari Poe also there, and then you've got guys like uh, you know the defensive line Uh, Alan Bailey, who's really been impressive the past couple of of years. So is Jay Howard uh, filling in for Dontari Poe at times. And Mike DeVito being a good run stopper. Uh, This is a defense that really helped out the secondary. Guys like Eric Berry, Sean Smith. And I know Eric Berry and Brandon Flowers, before Flowers was let go. uh, Berry and Flowers, they were a nice cornerback safety duo. Uh, Ron Parker, I think he's shown a lot of improvement this year. Marcus Peters, uh, of course the... Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year, uh, officially won that award. Uh, I think I, I still think he can improve, but I think the, the Chiefs are going to work on that. The, the Chiefs have a great defensive staff, and they're going to work on that with Marcus Peters. He did uh, lead, lead the league in interceptions, uh, co-led the league, I should say, in interceptions, but also did lead the league in touchdowns allowed. Uh, qu- quarterbacks loved uh, picking on Marcus Peters eight times. Uh, He was scored on this season. So the Chiefs definitely need to work on that with Peters for 2016. But I I still think with pass rushers, you can improve. Not not necessarily improve. I I just think pass rushers in the NFL, uh, they're the difference makers in games. They can make secondaries look really good. They can make an average cornerback look good and good safeties and cornerbacks look great. And when you have a great safety like Eric Berry and Sean Smith at cornerback... That's even it bodes well for those guys, it makes them even better. And the Chiefs have a lot of guys that they rotated with Tyvon Branch, Hussein Abdullah, Jamal Fleming. Uh, those three, however, all of them without contracts. So, the Chiefs, uh, it, it's going to be really hard to retain all of these people. Realistically, it's not going to be easy to do. Uh, Tom Bahali, of course, uh, was willing to come back for less money, Derek Johnson has went on the record saying he wants to be a chief for life and would be willing to take less money. So you know you don't have an ego with Derek Johnson and Tom Bahali. With their ages, you know that realistically they will take less money. But Josh Manga showed some flashes at, at inside linebacker the past couple of years. So I think he's a guy who can maybe... Step up and have a bigger role, also while playing alongside DJ Tom Bahali. I, I'd love it if he was on the team. I, I mentioned this on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. How the Chiefs can use Holly in 2016, and that he could come back for less money. I mean, he's he was willing to do it in 2015. He, I'm sure he'd be willing to do it again, or maybe for two more years. And D Ford, we saw a lot of great things from D Ford towards the second half of the season. Keep D. Ford active. I think just Justin Houston, you want to keep him on the field as much as possible. Tom Bahali too, but with Hale and, and how the Chiefs used him in practice throughout the week, with protocol being that you know he was only in full participation once a week, have D. Ford and Tom Bahali really just split playing time. Because one, Tom is going to be kept fresh, and so will D. Ford. And then of course D. Ford, he'll, he'll of course fill in for Justin Houston at times when he needs to. At that point, you've got a really fresh group of outside linebackers who are not tired, even during long drives. So I think that's going to really bode well if the Chiefs can keep Tom Bahali, bring him back for a year, maybe two years, which would be great. Uh, Tom Bahali led the NFL in quarterback pressures with 50, according to Pro Football Focus. So I understand Tom Bahali's age, but listen, if you're 35 years old, you're still one of the best at your position, Why would you not want to keep that player? I don't care how old someone is. If they're performing at a high level like Tom Bahali is, keep that player. You do not let go of these kinds of players because they are so hard to replace. And again, I I think in the NFL today, people get so caught up with, you know, listen, we already have a good player at that position. In in D4, it is what I'm referring to. I think you still have to have great depth in the NFL too. Sure, you got to have the right 22, but... If you can have a good 44 and then, you know, form that into a strong 53 man roster, there's a reason why teams have 53 players rather than just 22. You've got to have these guys that come in filling for injuries or keep a guy fresh. If stamina is a little bit of a factor, especially during long drives for a defense, the Chiefs need a guy like Tom Bahali, D4, to Justin Houston to be active. So I hope the Chiefs can find a way to keep Tom Bahali for the upcoming season and then find a way to lock up Eric Berry and Sean Smith. Uh, And like I said, I think Derek Johnson also would be willing to come back for, uh, for, for less money at that point. I think the only casualties you'll have, would be Mike DeVito and Jay Howard, which I think would be re- replaceable. I mentioned also uh, defensive end is is another position of need for the Chiefs this offseason. Uh, I also mentioned number two tight end because Alex Smith really does love throwing to, uh, to tight ends. Of course, he had uh, a, a good rapport on the field with Vernon Davis in San Francisco, has had great chemistry with Travis Kelsey here in Kansas City. But the Chiefs should consider another tight end. I know Demetrius Harris, he had some flashes, uh, but you also want to see that be con- uh, consistency, not just flashes. So to me, and I was very surprised when I heard about this, when the Rams let go of a couple of really good players, Chris Long, Lauren Itas, and Jared Cook, but I'd be intrigued to see if the Chiefs take a shot at Jared Cook and have him come in as you know, being a veteran guy and being a number two tight end next to Travis Kelsey, or opposite of Travis Kelsey, to help this offense. Because the way this offense operates, and the way Alex Smith plays, running backs and tight ends are heavily involved in the passing game, and I think it would benefit Alex Smith if he had a Travis Kelsey on one side, and then Jared Cook on the other side, so I think that's something to consider for the Chiefs this offseason, uh, now that the Rams uh, decided to let him go, uh, the LA Rams that is, uh, I may have said the St. Louis Rams, but uh, of course we've got to get used to the fact that they're now on the West Coast. But nonetheless, I, I think that's something the Chiefs should definitely consider this offseason with Jared Cook now being available in free agency. And uh, of course, that'll open up early in March. As far as other positions, I, 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 going back to Tom Bahali and Derek Johnson for just a second, I think the Chiefs should consider backup outside linebackers and inside linebackers. I know Josh Maga, I think he's ready to step up, like I said. But I think you'd like to have guys who can come in and learn from him. And maybe the Chiefs don't need to do that. They did draft DJ Alexander and Ramek Wilson, both in back-to-back rounds in this past year's draft in the fourth and fifth rounds, Alexander in the fifth round, and Wilson in the fourth round, so maybe the Chiefs don't do that and uh, go ahead with these guys, and hopefully they can learn a lot from DJ and Manga, of course, but uh, as far as outside linebackers... If Frank Zombo doesn't come back, maybe Desmond Moses continues to be a big part of the defense at outside linebacker as a backup, and maybe can learn from Houston and Holly and Ford as well, who I'm sure is going to be getting much more playing time in 2016. I was going to mention a backup quarterback, but I decided not to. I think the Chiefs are going to be okay uh, if they don't seek a backup quarterback and Chase Daniel of course he's available and there's a lot of speculation that he will go join Doug Peterson in Philadelphia which is totally understandable I think a lot of people are expecting that maybe a guy like Nick Foles could come to Kansas City and reunite with Andy Reid uh, I, I'm I'm putting Michael Vick out of the question because I, I think at this point if the Chiefs wanted to bring in Mike Vick and have him reunite with Andy Reid I think they would have done that by now but I'm guessing there's no interest in that. Otherwise, it would have happened. There have been plenty of chances to have, to bring Mike Vick to Casey, and that just hasn't happened yet. But as far as Kansas, City, Kansas City's quarterbacks go, it's kind of intriguing because you have Aaron Murray and Tyler Bray, and, and Chase Daniel. You had Chase Daniel. All of them who had great careers at their respective colleges in Missouri, uh, Georgia, and Tennessee. Uh, now it's just Aaron Murray and Tyler Bray. uh, yeah, you know, I mentioned uh, both did great in college. Aaron Murray shattered almost every passing record at Georgia, and Tyler Bray did good in Tennessee. And what's interesting is right before the 2015 season, the Chiefs put Bray on the non-football injury IR list and signed him to a two-year extension through 2017 worth $1.97 million. So I don't really know how to read that or what to expect. The Chiefs obviously see something in Tyler Bray that we don't. Uh, because we haven't seen Tyler Bray nor Aaron Murray take a regular season snap. I think that's something to, that, that people need to keep in mind. Uh, but I don't think that, that necessarily means they're bad. I think the thing with a lot of quarterbacks these days is we don't see a lot of brand new quarterbacks. We see maybe one or two guys each year, and those are generally from the draft. I think Chase Daniel could be a brand new starter. Uh, this upcoming season, if he goes to Philadelphia following Doug Peterson, but overall, you we generally don't see a lot of new quarterbacks because a lot of teams are set with their QBs. I think maybe I, this past year, you you saw a couple of new quarterbacks uh, in Jameis Winston. And Marcus Mariota, Tennessee. I mean, they kind of had a quarterback convention. Uh and, and I'm excluding teams that went through injuries because obviously those are unexpected. You can never prepare for injuries. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to have you you have backup quarterbacks for a reason. Like I said earlier, you have a fifty three man roster for a reason. And I think the Chiefs are going to give both Aaron Murray and Tyler Bray uh, a, a new role new roles this season uh where Murray could finally be the main backup, and Bray is going to be part of the 53-man roster from here on out with the Chiefs, and it'll be interesting to see what the Chiefs do in case Alex Smith goes down, I mean, are they going to have a lot of confidence in guys like Aaron Murray and Tyler Bray? And of course, with Tyler Bray's contract extension, I think the answer is yes, they certainly have confidence in these guys, more so Bray because of that extension. One last topic before I sign off here on the Chiefstone Podcast. appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Be sure you subscribe, subscribe on iTunes, and uh, anytime you're on iTunes and a new episode comes out, it'll be downloaded to your iTunes library, you and also interact with me on social media. Follow me on Twitter, at Farzine21, and also like my Facebook page, Farzine And One thing I want to talk about, because something that I've noticed with the Kansas City Chiefs since 2010, and I remember going into the 2010 season, for, for those who have been listening to the podcast for a long, long time, I said before the season that the Chiefs were going to win 10 games that year, which they did. And I said that because I looked at the schedule for that season before before things kicked off. And I looked at a lot of the defenses and how they did against the run. And all of them were terrible against the run the, the previous year. And none of those teams really did much to try and improve against the run. And for the Chiefs, when I... At the time, I contributed to uh, Kansas City Sports and Fitness Magazine, which free magazine can be found anywhere, great publication, and I had wrote an article saying that the Chiefs are going to live off a strong rushing attack, because the Chiefs did pick up uh, Thomas Jones that year, Jamal Charles, uh, he, ever since Larry Johnson was cut, Chris Johnson had the most rushing yards, and Jamal Charles was second in the NFL in rushing yards in the second half of, of that 2009 season and was just one yard shy of being in the top 10, despite not being able to play an entire 16-game season for Charles. But anyway, the Chiefs, of course, led the NFL in rushing yards that year, being number one in the NFL. And that's a big reason why the Chiefs won 10 games and captured the AFC West. And that, of course, is the last time the Chiefs won a division title. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, because... The Chiefs were able to get through with a really, really bad schedule. In 2010, the Chiefs were one and two against teams above 500. They didn't play many teams that had a good record. That finished with a good record in 2010. As far as teams in 2010 that finished with a record below 500, the Chiefs were nine and four against those teams. 2011, Chiefs were one and three against teams above 500. Teams that were at or below 500, six and six. 2012, a complete disaster. Didn't get any wins against teams above 500. Uh, their only two wins came uh, against uh, two seven and nine teams, if I'm not mistaken, the Saints and the Panthers that year. 2013, that of course was Kansas City's nine and zero start with a new regime, a new quarterback, and people talked about Kansas City getting through a, a cupcake schedule. Well, the Chiefs were 10 and 0 against teams that were at or below 500 and 1 5 against teams above 500. The only team they beat above 500 that year, that was Philadelphia. And Philadelphia at the time had Mike Vick as their quarterback and Vick wasn't doing a really good job with Chip Kelly as as the head coach at the time, of course. And what ended up happening, Eagles changed their quarterback to Nick Foles. Then the Eagles found a way to finish above 500. So that's the so the Chiefs really didn't. Uh, if you want to go into specifics here, the Chiefs didn't really pick up a, a win against a team above 500. Had Mike Vick been the quarterback all season long, the Chiefs would have probably been 0 and 5 against teams above 500, and then 11 0 against teams that were at or below 500. 2014, kind of a more impressive season, despite not making the playoffs. 4 and 3 against teams. At or below 500. As far as teams above 500, Chiefs were 5 4 that year, the best they have been against teams above 500 since 2010. 2015, Chiefs were 8 1 against bad teams and then 3 4 against teams that finish above 500. So, since 2010, what has Kansas City's record been against teams above 500? 11 23. Now, the Chiefs did get into the playoffs again in 2010. 2013 and 2015 because they played a lot of bad teams 2015 they lost to just one team that finished below 500 and I believe that was the Chicago Bears 2013 they don't lose to any bad teams and in 2010 lost to a couple of bad teams that year but still managed to collect enough wins to get through that season and come out on top in the AFC West does this concern you guys at all let me know on the Facebook page. Like I said, like my Facebook page, Vesugi and Follow me on Twitter, at Farzine 21 I really want to know, because I think in the NFL, you have to be able to prove yourself. I, I know it's not college football or college basketball, but you still have to prove yourself and be able to come away with quality victories. Because teams will, fans will take you very seriously, and so would the media. Now, I know what a lot of people will say. Who cares what people have to say? But let's face it, nine times out of ten... Public perception is generally correct. I know in Kansas City that's a crazy thing to say because look at the Kansas City Royals and how they're predicted to do it every single year lately. But in the NFL, I think the Chiefs have always been that team. And people have noticed this. People have talked about this. The Chiefs have been that team that have been able to get through because of an easy schedule. Multiple occasions. As I just said, 2015, 2013, and 2010. Three different years Uh, in the last six years, in which the Chiefs lived off a very easy schedule and found a way to make it into the postseason. I'd love to see it in 2014. I I thought it was just a complete letdown when the Chiefs went through those struggles, uh, had that three-game losing streak against the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Cardinals, uh, just didn't really show up in those three games. And that really was the reason why they didn't make the playoffs because they played really well against some really great football teams that year, beating both the Seahawks and the Patriots, the two number one seeded teams that met in the Super Bowl that same season. And on top of that, they beat a lot of good wild card contending teams. Teams that really the Chiefs were basically going up against because a lot of people expected Denver to win the AFC West. So the Chiefs, with the way they were going, they were expected to win... The wild card that year and once they ran into a brick wall with that three-game losing streak that eventually turned into a dream instead of a reality so overall Kansas City like I said 11 and 23 of the last six years against teams that have a winning record and as far as what their record is against teams that are that finish with the record at 500 or worse 39 and 23 which is obviously you want to have a good record so that, there's nothing wrong with that but to be 11 and 23 against winning teams you want to be able to do more you want to be able to prove yourself against the best really and i don't mean to bring up those clichés but in order to beat the best to be the best you have to beat the best and for Kansas City they haven't been able to do that a whole lot which is crazy because in 2014, they beat the two teams that met in the Super Bowl. and 20 Just this past year, they split with the team that won the Super Bowl in the Denver Broncos. So the Chiefs have been able to win against the, Super, the teams that win the Super Bowl. Or at least play in them. But they're not able to have overall consistent success. And I think that's something that this franchise needs to find a way. Because they're going to have some... Tough games in 2016 against really good teams. Schedule will be out the week of the draft, but the opponents are already set. And the Chiefs, they're going to have Denver twice. They were able to sweep the Raiders and the Chargers, but again, divisional games, you, you never assume those. I think that Buccaneers are definitely going to take a turn in the right direction. I think the Saints are definitely going to improve this season. The Chiefs don't necessarily have a challenging home schedule. You've got the Raiders and the Chargers who you've been able to handle at home the past couple of years. Uh, Jacksonville, Tennessee, uh, teams that don't necessarily pose as threats. New Orleans, they didn't have a great season, but I still think the Saints and the Bucs uh, will improve. And then you have the Jets. As far as road games... Uh, I think the Houston Texans, their quarterback away from, from being successful. The Colts, uh, they had a bad season. I, I think they're going to be able to rebound from that. Atlanta, uh, I'm always up and down with Atlanta. I, Matt Ryan's always been inconsistent in his career. You have Carolina. Of course, they went to the Super Bowl. And then you have Pittsburgh. Uh, in my opinion, they've got the most dangerous passing threat with Big Ben and Antonio Brown. So you're going to have a lot of tough games on the road, and the Chiefs were very dominant on the road. They had a bigger margin win and with their points uh, in road games rather than away, uh, rather than home games, which kind of weird. But hey, as long as they found ways to win, which is what they did, uh, but I think it's going to be the opposite in 2016. I, I think you've got to find a way to go eight and zero or seven and one in your home stand, your home games, because on the road. Again, uh, division games, uh, you you can never be certain with those. And then you've got a couple very challenging games. Teams that are, I think, very capable of making the postseason. Obviously, the Panthers, I think they're going to go back to the playoffs again for a third year in a row. Actually, I believe it could be their fourth year in a row. Uh, I take that back uh, because in 2013, they also made the playoffs. So uh, that's that's a team I, I think you can pen down winning the NFC South. And then Indianapolis, I think they can bounce back. Houston, uh, they could probably be a wild card if they don't win the division. I I I think you'll you'll see two teams from the AFC South make it to the playoffs. So the Chiefs do have a lot of challenging games, more so on the road than at home for 2016. And I think that's something that has to be considered. You look at the easy Schedule they've had uh, a couple of uh, seasons since 2010, and they've been able to use that to make the playoffs, which is fine. It's just uh, in those seasons like 2014 and 2012, when the Chiefs aren't able to show up against some of the better teams in the NFL in 2011, too, that kind of throws a lot of people off, and people wonder what's this team identity? Who are they? Because they're a great team one season. And then not so great the next. And that's not something Chiefs fans want to see with this franchise. Let me know what you think. Does that bother you at all? That the Chiefs have been inconsistent and have been able to show up against winning teams? And have been able to just shellack all these bad teams? I don't know. Let me know. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Great to be back. Great to be feeling better. Like my Facebook page, search Farzine Vasugi, and follow me on Twitter at farzine 21 Let me know what you guys think about the record against winning teams and losing teams. And also be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until then, enjoy your weekend. I'll talk to you guys later next week.